there's a very old tradition of fostering in Ireland. It goes back as far as the Brehan laws. And people as important as Red Hugh O'Neill, he was fostered in the court of Queen Elizabeth. Dan Locanel was fostered by Maura Dove in the Kerry Mountains. It's a very old tradition. Now, okay, things changed. But I, I think one advantage we have in this country is the clan system hasn't still broken down. Um, I, I place a child in a family. I don't place them in a, if you use the term, a nuclear family. Most of the families that I know, they have uncles and aunts and neighbours, and, and people mind each other's children. There is, this, there is this tradition of looking after each other's children, and I think this is a very valuable tradition that we have in this country. That's the voice of Sister Maeve O'Sullivan. Sister Maeve is a social worker with the Fostering Resource Group in Dublin, and her job is to find foster homes for the children who, for one reason or another, cannot live at home with their own families. The term fostering can have many different meanings. It can be short-term, a week or two until a family crisis blows over, a few months, or, as you'll hear later on, it can be for life. Perhaps this is why some people get mixed up between the terms fostering and adoption. Letitia Lefroy of Dr Bernardo's in Dublin explains the difference. In adoption, the child is placed with new parents and becomes a part of his new family. He takes their name and the parents in that family are legally responsible for him forever. Adoption is a permanent arrangement. On the other hand, in fostering, the foster child, boy or girl, may be in his foster home for a short or a long period, depending on his circumstances. He retains his family name and his parents and other members of his family may visit and keep in touch with him. He may return to live with them. And of course, this is usual in the case of a short-term foster child. Another difference is that an agency will have put the foster child with the foster parents. A social worker from that agency will continue to visit the foster parents and the foster child as long as the foster child is in that foster home. It is normal for a child to be in a family and a foster home provides a family. I feel very strongly that children who cannot be cared for by their own families should be cared for in a family setting. Family life in Ireland is very important to all of us. And I think it's very sad that there are some children who are denied this experience purely because their own families haven't been able to look after them. Children are very much individuals, and however good and however kind and however caring residential staff are, they can't have one individual who's very special to them. Foster parents can. They can give everything that child is part of their family. Children need to learn what family life is all about, too. They're going to grow up to be parents themselves, to have children themselves, and they need to know the good and the bad and the stresses and the fun of living in a family. And however much we try, it is very difficult for a residential home to provide children with this. At the moment, there are more children needing foster homes than there are foster parents willing to care for them. We were lucky enough to meet a group of people from four different families, which between them have fostered over 30 children. We've done long-term fostering. We have the little boy, two and a half years. Um, How long is long-term for you? 
I suppose for the rest of his life, you know, he'll stay with us, he'll live with us um, now mm. until I suppose he's an adult and possibly after that. I don't know, he is um, a child with special needs, he's mildly retarded and he has very poor speech and uh, therefore I mean he would probably, he would want long term care. He has to go to a speech therapist twice a week and he goes, um, he will probably go to a special school next September. I do long term fostering, I have a, bro I have a brother and sister, three and four years of age and um, we hope they'll be with us for the rest of our lives, of their lives, I should say. Uh, my wife and I have been fostering for eight years. Originally, we started off uh, on the short term and uh, for four, first four years. And that time, we fostered roughly about 20-odd children. We then went on to long-term fostering. The present child we had came originally in short term and then was sort of left with us. So we decided then we'd keep them as long-term fostering. I do short-term fostering and I've been doing it for nearly four years now. And in that time I'm sure I looked after perhaps eight children. Some of them were children of single mothers who had maybe to go into hospital and didn't have the support of a family who look after their children. Um, I got on well with, with all of the children and most of the parents that I met. Now, who are these children who need foster families? One place to find out is the Fostering Resource Group in Dublin. It's run by the Eastern Health Board and its job is to find foster homes for children in care. Children are in care for different reasons. It could be family illness, death or desertion. Or the courts may have placed a child in care because of neglect or ill treatment. Or perhaps it could be some youngster who got into trouble and needs some care and control. Whatever the reason, the main concern is for the welfare of the child. Kathleen Kelleher went to the Fostering Resource Group in Dublin to talk to two social workers whose job is to find foster homes for the 80 children who need them. The social workers, Sister Maeve O'Sullivan and Patricia White, have drawn up a wall chart giving details about the children. On the chart, the children are represented by cards. Yellow, blue and pink. Well, blue is for boys, pink is for girls, but what is yellow for? The yellow cards represent families. By that I mean one, two or more children of the one family. We will be hoping to place those children together. For instance, there are two little boys here, two brothers aged two and three. Um, very nice little boys and we will be hoping to place them in one family. Ideally we would like them in a family where they were the youngest of the family. Well, the blue cards represent the boys, and as you can see from the chart, there are a lot of boys in the over six age range, and we're very keen to try and find families for these boys. Uh, many of them at the moment are in children's homes. Uh, some of them have absolutely no contact with their parents. Others might have a monthly or a yearly visit, but in the main, they have very little contact with anybody. And what we're worried about is that when these children get older and leave the children's homes, they're going to have absolutely nobody to fall back on, somebody to help them get a job, somebody to praise them for getting their exams, etc. Just the ordinary things that you and I take for granted in life. Um, we have about 10 boys over 10. Um, we have 13 and 14-year-olds. I think some people may imagine that fostering is just for babies and we would like to let people know that there are quite a lot of older children 
in the seven plus age range to be fostered. The pink represents the little girls and as you can see we have very few girls but at the same time these children badly need a home. For instance again this little girl here right in the middle um, she's an only child, she's been committed to the care of the health board because of severe problems in her family and she badly needs a long-term foster home where she can grow up. Now, why are there so few girls? Is it just that there are fewer girls need fostering or that they're taken into fostering quicker than the boys and the families? Both. There are fewer girls. Why? I don't know. Um, and then girls are much more popular than boys for some reason or other. The same applies to adoption. Girls are much more popular than boys. Why? I don't know. Maybe people think that boys are, are, are more difficult to rear than girls, but mm. I, I don't really think so. I think maybe people have this, this image, but I'm not so sure that it's true. Are there categories of children that are not popular, if I could put it that way? Yes. Families. It's more difficult to get children placed to our, where there are two together. Uh, it's more difficult to get children placed where they have a family, where they have a father and mother. Uh, would you agree with that, Patricia? Yes, I suppose, um, in a way, the sort of orphan child image, where the child has no parents, in a way, may be more popular. And people think that uh, a child without a family is more needy. But in fact, a child with a family can be equally needy, because he has gone through in his lifetime, uh, he's had to undergo us uh, had to be separated from his parents which many of the children without families in the first place haven't had to do mm -hmm. so in this way really children who have families and who are split up from their families in many ways are extremely sad cases also in need of families i notice you have a family there of six now is that a difficult one oh, i was going to say impossible but then you know, one never knows one always hopes who would take in six children Yes, who would? I think probably the, mo the, the largest number of children we've placed with the family would probably be around the three, three children, sometimes from the one family, other times from, you know, they would be children of three different families, um, perhaps a couple with maybe one or two children of their own. Sometimes people say, well, perhaps a childless couple on the other hand, I think to take in six extra, having never just gone through the ordinary things of bringing up your own children, really would be very difficult. But we aim at the ideal, and then if we can't get that, we lower, if you like. We just have to lower our sights and perhaps split the six yes. up into three groups of two or maybe two groups of three that might be more acceptable and easier to find families for. Yeah, to get back to that question, People who have reared their own children, people who have teenage children, are very often very good for taking more than one child because they have the experience and they also have the help and the cooperation of their teenager or their grown-up children. I've placed, I've placed a, a, a child with a family and they've had their, uh, their silver wedding. So they have 20-year-old and 21-year-old children and the, the child that I placed with them is, is doing extremely well. In recent years, support services for foster parents have been increasing, and we'll hear about some of these later on. But how do interested families get in touch with the children? Recently, the health boards are putting a good deal of effort into finding foster homes.
One way they do this is by putting advertisements in the evening papers. They also organize information evenings for anybody who's interested. The preparation period is very important. There is a careful matching up process to be gone through, even with people who have given it a good deal of thought beforehand. Well, when we um, got married, actually, at the beginning, we decided we would probably like to either adopt or foster. And um, then the Eastern Health Board run ads in the papers on a Friday night for children, and we saw an ad and we answered it. Now, the child in question at that time was um, four years old, and so was our own daughter. So obviously that wasn't going to work out, so they said, we'll fill up the form and any, you know, anyway. And uh, we were assessed, which took about six months. A social worker comes along and speaks to us sort of together about maybe four times, and then singly. She saw me down in her office. She saw Dennis down in her office. Well, it, uh, go into your reasons why you want to do it, first of all, and uh, what you feel you have to offer the child in question. Why did you want to do it? Well, I think basically um, one of the main reasons is... Uh, I, I think to give the child a chance, really, because uh, the little boy that's with us uh, spent the first three and a half years of his life in an institution and in that institution he was in the one room all the time with maybe 15 or 20 other children who were mildly retarded and this little boy had nobody else to refer to only these other retarded children and uh, subsequently he became like them there was one particular child for instance dragging herself around the floor because she couldn't walk properly and we found him doing the same when we went to visit him and this this to me was tragic you couldn't leave a child there like that to get on with his life in that one room and uh, I think that's the main reason there are other reasons you might want to go into yourself personally you know you might have your own personal views you know your contribution to society and so forth but I think the main reason is that, to give the child a chance. The social worker in her assessing us um, decided that we were a patient, sort of tolerant family and that um, maybe we could handle a child with special needs. So um, she was also responsible for uh, five children around Dublin and um, she asked if we would go along to the children's home and visit this little boy. He was then um, four years old. He had just gone four, actually. And um, we visited three times, and then he came to our home once. Um, it was usually, um, you know, the visiting is drawn out a bit longer than that, but it was a very disturbing move for the child because he had never been outside. He had never travelled in a car. He was terrified. And so they thought, like, it would be just as helpful to sort of have a quick move and uh, he came to us and um, he settled in really rather quickly you know um, despite his background. There was a reference there to age, the age of children already in the family and the age of the foster child and as Sister Maeve points out this can be an important consideration. Well it's usually better for the child to be younger than the children in the family at least two years younger, because uh, let, let's say you have a six-year-old son. 
he's grown up in your family, he's established. Now some people, sometimes people think it'd be grand for him to have a playmate of the same age. But in actual fact, it wouldn't be grand for him. Because the child coming in is at a, is a, is at a disadvantage straight away, and they're very likely to clash. They're not going to be the same in school. There's going to be rivalry set, set up right from the start. So it doesn't, it doesn't really work out well when children of the same age are placed together. Another thing that mightn't work out is, is supposing a family have lost a child, they've tragically lost a child, and what they're looking for is a replacement of that child. Well, that's not possible. I mean, a child can never replace another child, and if you're expecting the child to replace the child, it just doesn't work out. It doesn't work out for the family, it doesn't work out for the child. That's, that's where there's a, pre a, a period of preparation for fostering. You have a period of preparation when you're trying to look hard at your motivation. What, what do you want? You, you, you're assessing your own motivation and saying, you know, what will work for my family? And that's the social worker's task, to try and help you to, to look as objectively as you can at your motivation. When there are grown-up children in the family, the assessment includes the whole family, as we hear now from a family who have taken into their care two very young children. These children, although they are brother and sister, had already been separated. The little girl was in a, in a children's home and the little boy was in um, a short-term foster care. They were brought um, to visit each other, you know, and the, the, the Eastern Health Board wanted them together. They wanted a family for them to keep them together so as they would, they would know each other and grow up together. So um, they thought our family would be, you know, ideal for them because the social worker came and she interviewed not only us, she interviewed every one of the children, two of whom were, one was... Uh, doing leaving cert that year and the other, other was doing an intercert and uh, like she even went as far as to ask them you know would it uh, interrupt their studies and all the rest of it and she even came at, at uh, nine o'clock at night to visit my son because he was he was he was at work all day and he happened to be to um, be wor working overtime that night and she came she said, what time will you be home at? So she came back to meet him and ask him, and he's 21. So you were well So we were well, yeah, oh, definitely. Like, she, they ask the, the children definitely. You know, they go through them. They ask everything, you know, what, what, what do they feel? How would they accept the children? And, you know... They, well, then, when the you were meeting home. the children, did the whole family meet them together? Or? No, no. You um, uh, uh, My husband and I came to meet them, you know. And uh, we talked to them straight away, and they took to us. So that was, we, it only took two days, really. We only met them twice, and they came bag and baggage on the Friday and settled in, took over. And was there any problem? I don't mean problem, that's too strong a no, word. No, it's strange though, it seems now. You might, it, um, they're the sort of children, really, that they're very happy children now, and they really just decided uh, the social worker says she still says that she she could see it in their you know in their faces that they said to themselves well no we're here we'll stay here you know and she still says that so she does you know about, about the two of them that they were how long are they know, with you now they're um two years now almost two years with us now could you tell me your responsibilities that you've taken on for those two children? Well, we've taken on the responsibility of rearing them and sending them to school and looking after them for the rest of their lives.
So the natural question to ask is, why not adopt? And the answer is that the law doesn't allow children of married parents to be adopted. But depending on the circumstances, some children will see foster parents as their mammies and daddies, understandably in the case of lifelong fostering. Oh, they call me us mammy and daddy, yeah. Oh, brothers yeah, and sisters, they're all their brothers and sisters, and they've grannies and grandmother, grandfathers, and they've uncles and aunts that they all call uncles and aunts too, you know. And they're all accepted, and their birthdays are remembered, and their, you know, Christmas and Easter eggs and all the rest of it. And all your family and friends are, oh, yeah. are their families and yes, friends. Yes, yeah. yeah. Whereas on the short term now, um, the little boy who's staying with us on a short term basis, he's quite proud to call uh, our children his foster uh, brother and foster sister. Mm. Santa Claus asked him in, in a store, uh, is this your sister? And he said, oh no, that's not my sister because of course he has a natural sister in his own home. That's not my sister. She's my foster sister. Um, um, you know, he's quite proud of the fact, mm -hmm. and I think it gives him a sense of security. Yeah, and that's why he's, he's separated from home. Yeah. That he has, you know, a set of foster parents and the support of a foster brother. And does um, he understand? He the does. Meaning of it? He does quite mm -hmm. well, really. Mm -hmm. um, um, the children at school, of course, know that he is not our child's uh, natural brother and they had their school photograph taken together and he's very proud of it and he says and this is my foster brother Peter. As we heard at the beginning the natural parents may keep up contact with their children. This doesn't always happen particularly in the case of long-term fostering but all the foster parents we met felt it right to talk to the child about the natural parents and to keep in touch where this was appropriate. David is 16 years old. He has had a foster family, the same one, twice in his life. Once for three months when he was 14, and now he's coming near the end of the second term of six months, after which he is to rejoin his own family. He talked about his experiences as a foster child, and he remembers how he felt the first time he joined his foster family. A bit sad, and I missed my own family, and I uh, settled in after a while, got used to the family, and that was great. Of course, you didn't lose touch with your own family. No. Um, kept in touch with my family. I was seeing them every second week. And you plan to go back to your family? Yeah. Are you looking forward to it? Yeah, I am. Do you have any adjustment to make when you, um, you, know, you visit your home and you come back here and you visit your home and you come back here? No. No adjustment at all. It's just like, no. Visiting a friend? Yeah, that's all it's like. Now, you have three foster brothers and sisters here. Yeah. Uh, how do you get on with them? Great. Just as uh, just like I get on with my own brothers and sisters. Get on with the same with them. Now, could you tell me what do your foster parents do for you? Um, help me out with everything and make me happy and all when I'm sad and all those sort of things. And it's just great. They're great people there, our foster parents. And, um, Oh, they bring you, out, bring you out everywhere and all. It's great. They make you feel at home and all. So it's good. Now, most people don't have two families. Do you know, what is it like to have two families? Do you think it's an advantage? Um, not, well, I suppose. Well, it's, that's a very hard question, but um, I suppose it is, yeah, really. Cause, but your own family is the best family, that's all I can say. And... 
you know, you, you, you don't know which to say is home. <laughs> it's your first family home or your own family home, but you wouldn't say it, just keep it yourself. You know which is home. That's what you say. Do you feel you'd have to adjust when you go back to your own family? Um, maybe a little bit, but not much. In what way would you think? Um, I don't know, just to uh, break into my family, get to, you, you know, get to the hang of them again, you know, the way they uh, go on with life, I get on with them. Like David, many foster children go back happily to their own families. In many cases, links are formed between the two families and there develops an understanding of the feelings of the parent who has to place a child in care. Well, we've always tried to be as, if you like to say, as natural as we can with them to, to just let them come in, uh, have visit the child. Sometimes they may take them out for a walk, not to intrude too much on them, leave them with their own because they are often embarrassed themselves that their children have to winter care. And at that particular time of their life, they're not able to look after them. And here they find somebody else quite able to look after their own kids or children and then look after other people as well. So it can, it, at times it can be a sort of embarrassment. So you want to sort of keep leave them on their own as much as you can. And I've never had any difficulty with any, any of these. This often a fair people have about natural parents visiting. But I, we've, I've never had any difficulty with them. Neither have I ever had any difficulty, and I have met um, a variety of natural parents who did come to see their children. In fact, I always found I got on rather well with them, because if you can put yourself in their shoes and observe the circumstances that occurred that let their children go into care, you know, you have great sympathy for them. Now, you've got to keep um, a sort of an even keel. You can't appear to be an over-efficient a woman who can not only run her own family but take on somebody else's children as well because I think that only makes the natural parent feel more inadequate than she might be feeling already. Neither can you make them feel that it's absolutely no bother to you to take on um, somebody else's. But you can't also say it's been a terrible time that you've had with her child. Um, so you've got to keep this even keel. And I always found when I did, you know, a lot of these natural parents I got on extremely well with. Some of them phoned me afterwards and some of them wrote to me. Um, and I must say I found that end of it quite rewarding that you did feel that you helped somebody out when they needed a friend. Is it difficult to, to give up a child that you have come to be to fond of and know well, for a while? Certainly in short-term fostering you are working towards the day when that child will either go home or will go into, we'll say, long-term foster care, or perhaps be adopted. The first baby that I looked after was a pre-adoption baby, and we minded him for maybe three or four weeks. Um, I was very fond of that baby, but it, I, I it, you know, I had worked towards the day when he, he would be adopted. Um, after that, we, we looked after various children for short periods of time, and then a little boy came to stay, who did in fact stay for the best part of nine months. Now we did grow very fond of that little boy and he'll always have a place in our hearts. Our children were very fond of him. Um, but he settled very happily um, and we do visit him, you know, we see him um, and our children are quite happy that he has a new family all of his own, that he won't have to move anymore. I mentioned earlier that there are services and supports for the foster child. 
So back now to Sister Maeve and Patricia White for more details. Well, we have various helps and supports for the child. For instance, the foster family is paid an allowance. It's about £20 per week. If they incur any other expenses over and above, then the help board will meet that. In addition to that, the child is supplied with a medical card so that all medical expenses are covered. And if the foster parents needed anything such as um, nappies or um, cot or bed or pram or that, the health board would supply that. As well as that, um, as the child grows older, there are other allowances. There's an allowance for First Communion, an allowance for confirmation, allowances for books, allowances for pocket money, and uh, allowances for education. For instance, supposing the child had to go, <laughs> had to go, wanted to go to university, the health board would, would pay the fees. The other sort of help uh, that the health board offer to families who take children on a fostering basis is that the social worker uh, visits the family at least once a month. Now this will depend uh, when the child goes to live with the family at first. The family may need, may be in need of visiting more frequently, perhaps once a week at the beginning. Uh, but gradually this will ease off and we'll visit about once a month. Now if at any stage the foster family need us, they, we, are, we, are all, we are contactable and we can visit more frequently if necessary should there be anything just at that time that they want to discuss. Now in addition I think a very important um, aspect of, of help to foster parents has in fact um, grown up from the foster parents themselves and this is the, the support group for foster parents um, and this um, has come about in the last couple of years and foster parents meet foster parents say in a certain area of Dublin we, we have eight community care ten community care areas in Dublin and most of these areas now run a support group where foster parents can come along and talk to each other about what it's like and this is particularly helpful say for new foster parents to gain help and encouragement etc from other foster parents who've been through what they're now going through and have come out the other side. These support services are of great importance. They provide help for any problem that may arise and it cannot be denied that problems will arise. The children may be disturbed by their experiences, the parents may be difficult. But it's nice to know that Ireland has a good record for successful fostering and this is due largely to the very careful preparation which we've heard about. Now, fostering has been developing in different ways, since it's being found more and more that children with all kinds of different needs can be helped by family care in the community. Although it has not yet been started in Ireland, one of these developments is in family care of disturbed and troubled children who otherwise might be placed in detention centres. Another scheme has been started in Ireland, which is parallel to the usual fostering service. This is called Breakaway, and it was tried out for the first time last summer. It was a joint venture by four organisations which are concerned with mentally handicapped children. The idea was to place children, handicapped children, in families in the community in order to give the child's parents well, what I'd call a well-deserved break and also to give the child a holiday because I think it was important that we would consider the child's needs as well. And um, the other aspect of it that we've learned is that it means community awareness that children aren't going into um, institutions, they're actually out in the community with other families so everybody can learn if you like and there's a lot of bonuses in it. That was Frida Lowry who is a social worker with the group. 
Like fostering, the breakaway scheme depends for its success on the careful preparation beforehand with the host families. We talked a lot to them about, you know, what it would be to take a child into their home, the changes in routines, the commitment, um, things to expect with the child, how to handle certain situations. So the, the preparation was all important. Those host families or the, peop the parents who were interested, they met the child's parents. We also invited them along to our day centres to see how staff were managing with certain things, to get a feel and an idea about what the children were like. So preparation was absolutely crucial. One of the children who took part in the breakaway scheme last year is 10-year-old Aoife. In previous years, she used to spend a few weeks in a children's home or a special holiday home while her parents got a break. Aoife's mother looks back on the breakaway scheme. Well, we were very pleased with it because we felt that Aoife needed uh, very personal care that uh, she couldn't really get in an institution. She's very severely handicapped, uh, mentally handicapped. She can't do anything for herself. And, but she does relate to people and uh, in institutions they don't always realise that you know, they take such a long time to just to do, look after her physically but that uh, when she was in a family she got, we felt in some cases, better care than we gave her. You know, they talked to her more and they uh, you know, made a lot of her whereas in our family she's the eldest of four children and the other three are much more vociferous than mm -hmm. she is. I suppose it's very important for you to get a break like that, is it? Well, we feel uh, it is, you know, for to continue sort of living a fairly normal life, you know. Uh, we have, as we, as said, we have other children, and uh, it's difficult to do uh, do things with them. But you, when you have a, a largest child in a wheelchair, you know, you can't. Uh, and also, when you have a baby in a pram, you, the places you can go are limited, and uh, it makes it easier for us to get around and say to go away for a few days to the country. Well, when she came back after her holiday, how did she react to being back home again? Well, she was a bit withdrawn for a day or so, you know. She's, if she usually is like that. She's been in hospital a few times, and usually it takes her that long to sort of take up the threads of life, you know, her old life again, her routine. Mm. Would you recommend this scheme to other mothers who have children that, you know, demand a lot of care, like Eva? I think so, you know, I think we were sort of doubtful that there would be people who would take on a child like that, but uh, judging from the people we we had and the other people I've met at meetings, you know, the people who, who do this sort of thing are, are really, you know, very, very good and uh, they will go out of their way to, to look after the child in some ways better than you can yourself almost. And finally we'll hear from a host family. Despite careful consideration and preparation, they had some misgivings. Naturally, up to the very day that we got the child, we still had our misgivings about it, you know. Yeah. We had no misgivings that we weren't going to take the child, but we just, we felt a little, you know, just that natural feeling that maybe could we handle this or could we not handle it. And another thing is that we were worried uh, whether the children would be able to accept, you know, having a handicapped child in the home whether we would be um, leave those in the background and just look after the handicapped child, you know, whether they would feel the youngest, especially, is seven years of age. But um, having discussed it with the children, and um, they were all happy about it, and they could see no problems, and we couldn't see any problems, and after attending all the meetings, we said we would go ahead with it. The child who came was called Gavin. 
Uh, Gavin was a four-year-old who was um, physically and mentally handicapped. He had to be changed, he had to be fed. He was confined to a wheelchair most of the time. He had um, five to six epileptic attacks a day which needed medication for hourly. Um, he was a beautiful child, beautiful dark-skinned child, curly hair. Um, very, very lovable child, very, very lovable child indeed. There were some minor problems with Gavin, mainly about getting him to bed, but the whole experience was very rewarding for his host family. Uh, we missed Gavin very much. There was some kind of an emptiness in our lives. Um, the children, we talked about him all the time, even up until this day. We still talk about him and reminisce about what he did and where we took him. And The children were all so delighted with having him. In yes. fact, you could say that he left a mark on our lives. That's what he did, in fact. And certainly, um, as, as Eileen says, we remember him to, to this very, very day, and we look forward for him to come and see us again. That's quite definite. We don't have any, there's, I couldn't say that we have any regrets at all about taking this little child, and we would recommend our experience to anybody who is similarly inclined. Before I end, it is worth noting that even though we have been talking about foster families, single women can also foster, and the age range of foster parents can go up to over 60 years old. What has come out very clearly in talking to foster parents is how rewarding they find it. It is a difficult job, but a very worthwhile one.